welcome to Milwaukee MomCast, a podcast dedicated to real stories for real parents. Produced by Milwaukee Mom, we'll tackle a variety of topics in a way we hope will make you laugh, make you think, and remind you that this whole being a parent thing can be a little wild, but at least we're in it together. So reheat your coffee, grab the headphones, and get comfy while we chat all things motherhood with a Midwest twist. Hey everyone, we have a really special episode of Milwaukee MomCast coming up for you today featuring a love and logic instructor. We've all been in those parenting moments where we feel like we have no clue what we're doing, whether it's a tantrum or the kid won't wear their coat or we're trying for the 10 millionth time to get them to try that food. This is going to be such a valuable conversation. So let's jump into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Milwaukee MomCast. Today, we're so excited because we're bringing you essentially what's going to be, I think, the closest thing to an instruction manual for parenting that we're ever going to get. Our guest in studio is Crystal. Now, tell me how to pronounce your last name. Melby. Melby. That's what I was going to say, but then I got nervous right at the end. (laughs) Crystal Melby, who is actually a trained love and logic educator. And we're going to tell you some more about that in just a minute. But first, hi, and welcome for being here. Hi, I'm really excited. I've been a podcast geek forever and now I'm actually on one. <laughs> it's hilarious because in another uh, episode I even talk about how before doing this I really didn't listen to podcasts like at all. I'm, oh, I'm so it. much more of an audiobook dork. My youngest daughter she knows how much I love it and when um, she came home from school I said I'm gonna be on a podcast and she says she's nine she goes OMG mom that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about the uh, the, the highest accolade you can get there totally especially from a nine-year-old <laughs> for sure so tell us some more about you and your family then well I'm I grew up in a small town called Plymouth it's about an hour north of here um, and then after we got married my husband was doing his residency at Children's Hospital and so we lived in Milwaukee for about eight years I taught in the inner city um, and then after we had kids I stayed home but I decided I had to get this parenting thing right. So I started reading like, <laughs> right, like there's a way to get it yeah, right. Yeah, right? I had to get this right. <laughs> right, exactly. For some reason, I'm just not, I'm not acing this. I don't yes, understand yes, what's happening. Exactly. <laughs> so I started reading like every book I could find and some of them sort of made sense. Some of them were just like crazy to me. Um, and then I found Love and Logic and I loved it. It made so much sense. I wished I'd had it as a teacher actually. And what did you teach? What grade, what level? Um, I taught everywhere from third grade to sixth grade. I started oh, wow. out with fifth okay. and then I became a fifth and sixth grade teacher but the sixth graders um, were a lot for me. And then I went down and did third and fourth for the last four years. I always find that so fascinating. I w- I'm a former teacher as well. And it's interesting how teachers, you you have your sweet spot yeah. where you're like, these are my people. These yeah. are my kids. This is my jam. And then you ta- you tell that to another educator and they're like, <gasps> exactly. I don't know how you do that. And I was middle school and high school. And I bet everyone says to you, middle school and high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> but sixth grade was my cutoff. Okay. I, I could, sixth couldn't grade, go below. I could not go below. Like sixth grade was like that, mm, not really comfortable here yeah. spot, but I definitely would not do fifth. I spent one day in a fifth grade classroom and I wanted to drive my car off a bridge on the right. way home. And I love the exact opposite. Yeah. But seventh and eighth grade, oh, so great. So great. And so your kids are how old? Um, right now, my oldest is 13, my second is 11, and my twins are nine. Nine-year-old mm-hmm. twins. Yep. <laughs> They're fun. It's it's a really, I love that. Like, you know, I love that age. I love nine. Yes. <laughs> nine is fun. Yeah. I will admit that. When they're your kids, not when they're your students. 
kids. I'm sorry. Well, even now when I when I um, go and volunteer at school, I'm like, oh, how did I do this? Like, oh, for real? <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're so squirrely. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. The attention span is literally like the dog in, what is that, up? Where it's like squirrel. Yeah, exactly. Totally. It's yep. true. So easily distracted. Awesome. Okay. So then for those who aren't familiar, what exactly is this love and logic concept that we've already referred to several times? Okay. So it's a parenting philosophy. It was originally founded in 1977. Okay. Um, and it was founded by Jim Fay, who is an educator, and Foster Klein, who was a psychiatrist. I think he still is. They both are, so I shouldn't say was. Um, and they started with the idea that children should make mistakes and learn from them. And then they like expanded it into like a big philosophy. They actually did a lot of research. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like they're like, this makes sense. Let's start teaching it. But they ran yeah. through like, um, you know, they they would research. They would try things with parents, watch the parents, see what kind of success they had. And then when they finished making their philosophy, you know, that children should learn from the mistakes, that um, they need firm and loving authority figures, um, that relationships are really key. Then they started deciding um, to, like, teach this to other people using practical techniques. Because, like, if you just learn a philosophy, you're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But how do I do that? But Love and Logic broke it down into skills so that parents, and they also teach teachers, can actually, like, use these practical techniques to do it themselves. Okay, that makes sense. So then... When it comes down to those kind of pillars of of this love and logic, love and logic concept, one of the things that you have talked about mm-hmm. that you know we kind of kicks that off is letting kids make mistakes, and you actually ca- have called them affordable mistakes. So, can you describe a what is an affordable mistake, and how do these mistakes sort of help children learn? Okay, well, what we want to do is let our kids make mistakes when they're little, when the price tags are small. So what it's not like we're going to let them like run out in the middle of the street and get hit by a car so that they learn not to go into the street because right that's a rather costly mistake <laughs> right. but an affordable yeah. mistake is something that they can do that they can suffer a little bit from just to learn so that when they you know approach something similar next time they'll have learned like you know when i make that bad choice something bad happens so then they'll make better choices so we want to let them make mistakes that hurt just a little bit so that they can see that their choices have consequences, but not so much that it'll be like detrimental to their health or safety. Can you give us an example? Yeah. So, well, the funny thing is I had such an issue with like what my kids eat. So I knew it would, Oh yes. I knew it would be an affordable mistake if my daughter would forget her lunch and have to have hot lunch, even if it was something she didn't like. But to me, even though I was an educator and I, I knew this in my mind, in my heart, it would hurt to think of her sitting there eating like sweet and sour chicken or something she hated. And I would just like be like, I can't let her go without forgetting her lunch. But I made myself. And so when she would forget her lunch, she would have to have hot lunch. And she, you know, only forgot her lunch like she's kind of spacey, but so she only forgot her lunch like two or three times that whole year. And now she doesn't at all. But I ran into a mom the last day of school. I was there volunteering. Yeah. And she had a lunch bag with her. And she's like, I swear I have brought, you know, so-and-so her lunch every day, all year. And I was like, good job, you Crystal. Yeah, you know, good job to myself. Yeah, like, yeah. you were right to let her suffer, quote-unquote, those, like, couple times when she had to have a hot lunch. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that you bring up that as the example because I literally had that specific exact thing happen okay I think it was the second week of school Mm -hmm. and that this of this school year and I my kids had already left for school they gotten on the bus and I remember even before they got on the bus 
double checking with everybody. Got your bag? Yeah. Got your snack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got your lunch? Yeah. Cool. Everybody had left. And then I got to my bag and was leaving for work and I saw my sons my middle son who is how old is he oh my gosh 10 why is that always so hard do you remember (laughs) because they keep changing (laughs) goodness it's just like and we're in the transition time usually they're all either they're all odds or all evens but we're in between birthdays now so it's all jumbled Mm -hmm. and it's messing with my brain we have that same situation (laughs) yeah anyway he's 10 and so I'm leaving and I see his lunch sitting there and I came to work and I actually went even, uh, I did what any mom in 2019 does. I went on Instagram and posted it on Instagram (laughs) stories where I said, okay, here's the situation. What would you do? And put up the poll. Do you bring the kid the lunch or say, too bad, so sad, figure it out? Yeah. And it was so fascinating, Crystal, because it was literally a 50-50 split. Really? I am talking dead even. I was getting DMs from people saying, well, it depends. Because if it's the first time it's happened, I probably would bring it. Or, you know, whatever. Or like, you know, well, is there any allergies? It's like, no, there was no allergies. It was just this kid being a space monkey, right? And it was literally split 50-50 on whether or not to bring the lunch. Okay. And I, I didn't. Good I, for you. I had left it there and I'm like, well, tough. I have work. I got stuff. I'm doing things. But <laughs> this is the part where it's like, hey, here you are feeling like the great mom. And then another week and a half later, my phone rings during the middle of the school day. Yeah. And it's the same kid. And I'm like, hello. And he's like, mom. Yeah. Can you bring me my lunch? Did you forget it again? Yeah. Okay, well, sorry, just eat hot lunch. He goes, well, I don't like it. And at this point, it was like, well, we've already done that the one time, and apparently yeah. we didn't learn. So, and this time I caved and I brought went and brought him <laughs> the lunch. So I kind of, lest I sit here and say I, I made the perfect choice, but so then I kind of am stuck going, does that make me the mean mom for not bringing the lunch? On the first try. Uh-huh. And then does it make me the weak mom for giving in and bringing the lunch on the second? Well, I think there's always, you know, nothing's ever totally right or wrong. So Fair if enough. you had said, you know what, I'm going to do this as a favor for you just this one time, you know, and I know you do favors for me. We do favors for each other. We're a family. Yeah. We love each other. But it's not like he's becoming dependent. We're you know, it's not like he's like, okay, good. I can just not bring my lunch. Right. Because my mom, mom will be out every lunch. time. As long as you kind of made it clear, you know, this is a one-time special thing. I, okay. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. And I think every family dynamic is different. So I think if my child had called, I might have said, well, you know, I actually have a little bit of time right now. And, and I will do it for you this one time. But while while I left, I was going to empty the dishwasher and I ran out of time. So when you get home, I need you to do that for me or something. Oh, hey. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so okay. sometimes we'll do that. You know, if if I do like make an exception for usually not with the lunches because it's so touchy. I feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. my kids would just, especially the one that I'm talking about, would just be like, oh, good. I'll never bring my lunch again. Right, right, but, right. Um, you know, if it's something else where I normally wouldn't do, then I'll just say, you know, that took me some time there. So here's what you can do for me. So then how does the affordable mistakes thing apply then when you have, when they are a little bit younger, like, you know, before we're school age, we're talking mm-hmm. like the toddler preschool kind of age. How, how does it apply to that age group? Well, it can be kind of any issue you're having. Mm-hmm. So at that age, my second daughter only wanted to wear a swimsuit. <laughs> 
literally for like nine as months. As one does. Okay, of course. <laughs> it was giraffe pattern and she loved giraffes. So. Oh, bless. <laughs> so um, she would want to wear her swimsuit and I didn't, that wasn't a battle for me. So I would say, absolutely, you can wear your swimsuit, but first you'll need to put on these leggings or this turtleneck because it was winter. Yeah, because it's literally negative 15 <laughs> exactly. out. And But on the other hand, she didn't want to wear a coat. She was very opinionated. And so instead of making that a daily battle where I'm like, you know, either going and waiting 10 minutes for her to finally get her coat on before we go or pinning her down and prying her arms into the coat, <laughs> we would say, well, you can wear it or carry it. And I'd read that, you know, and I never had that issue with my first daughter. She was very like, I'll do whatever mom wants me to do. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, I'll try it. And so she carried it and we got her in her car seat and strapped her in. And she said, I'm cold. Can I put my coat on? And here's where the learning took place. Mm -hmm. I could have been like, absolutely, let's unstrap you. I said, oh, I would love to, but we have to get going. And so we drove. It wasn't far. It was like the library, like four minutes. And I let her feel cold because that was a mistake that she could learn from. Mm -hmm. And so then when we were getting back, you know, leaving the library, I was like, do you want to wear it or carry it? She's like, I'm going to wear it. It's cold out there. Oh, okay then. (laughs) So we can let them, you know, have these little moments of, you know, it's not like I was going to let her out in a swimsuit where she'd get like frostbite on her legs, but having a turtleneck and her swimsuit to keep her warm. I'm just picturing this visual of (laughs) a giraffe swimsuit with a turtleneck (laughs) and leggings. Oh yeah. She was a good looking (laughs) three-year-old. That's adorable. I don't even know. This has become, it's like you're reading my mind because the (laughs) the coat thing has become such an issue with my tween. So he's almost 12 and we're going on our second year now of coats being a real thing like for Mm -hmm. some reason he is just anti-coat yeah I don't know if it's because he thinks they're not cool or they I I don't I honestly don't understand and I'll be like wear a coat I'm fine please wear a coat I'm fine okay then you have to bring one I get the the tween grunt you know and we've tried that wear it or carry it thing Mm -hmm. too and for the most part it tends to work um but I'm just trying to figure out what it is about coats that there's just some weird avert it's like that's like their vehicle of power gra- it's a power grab yeah, yeah. but I bet the coat. if you had never been like wear a coat wear a coat and you had just said wear it or carry it if it was about the power he'd have been like okay you know it won't like yeah. he didn't have to push but because you'd said wear it and he's like no like you know then uh-huh. he already I'm was asserting just, my yeah. independence on you or it could be you know he doesn't like it but I, I assume a lot of it with both three-year-olds and 12-year-olds because they're kind of the same. <laughs> um, in moments, absolutely. Yes, I, I think would a agree. lot of it involves them trying to pull away. You know, when they're two or three, they're pulling away for the very first time because, you know, you've done everything for them. Mm. But then when they're 12 or 13 or even 11, you know, it varies by kid, they're kind of pulling away again. Like, I don't need you for even what I've been getting you from. So I think it's so similar. You know, that's such a that's such a great observation. You're yeah. absolutely right. And it's it's harder, at least in my opinion, it's so much harder right now with oh, them yeah. pulling away in this area because at least then when they were three, they were pulling away, but you knew they could only pull so far. Absolutely. Because they still need you to feed them, dress them, <laughs> bathe them, wipe them, <laughs> w- wipe them, <laughs> literally all the things. And now when they're asserting their independence and, you know, making these power grabs, it's for real. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, we're like building your character. We're establishing your, you know, who you are. I completely like, agree. I find this harder like, myself too. Oh, yeah. I've told, I can't tell how many countless people that on the first day of kindergarten with all three of my children, mm-hmm. I practically pushed them onto the bus and ran to the nail salon. <laughs> 
like in a party, you know, it was fantastic. (laughs) Never shed a tear, no emotions really other than pure joy. This year was the first day that I had my very first son get on the bus to go to middle school. Mm -hmm. And I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. It's seeming so real. Like you're counting down the years you have now left with them. You're like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe it's because, you know, as a former middle school teacher, I know the stuff that middle schoolers are dealing with. And it's like, oh, okay. The stakes just feel so much higher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you want to, and as a parent, you want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And you know, when it comes to learning these, these techniques and these love and logic concepts, you know, part of me is like, where was this when I was, when they were in the toddler pre yeah. preschool age, because now it's like, okay, here's this monster, beautiful child. I meant, sorry, <laughs> that I've created. And like, there's these tendencies are already there. Now yeah. we're trying to adjust and tune them, you know, but yeah, it's easier already. when you can still carry them, right? Yes. <laughs> when they're three instead of 13. Or <laughs> yeah, I can't fireman carry you out right. of this building right now because you're acting like a little butthead. Right. <laughs> so now we have to deal with it. Um, which brings us actually to the next concept that we want to talk about are consequences and empathy. Because okay. as you know, they make these affordable mistakes, there's going to be things that happen from them. Yeah. And as they make just you know, choices as they get older, consequences come. Um, And so I really want to tap into this because it can be so easy to just drill, I think, consequences as meaning the same thing as punishment sometimes. Yeah, totally. But the concepts that you're discussing are a little bit different than that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, first of all, I want to say there's two kinds of consequences. The one comes naturally, like when my daughter didn't wear her coat and she was cold for four minutes. That was a natural consequence. Those are awesome because you don't even have to do anything. And then there's the consequences that we impose on them, which Mm -hmm. would be oftentimes referred to as punishment. But love and logic differentiates between the two by saying that punishment elicits an emotional response and consequences are supposed to like help the child think. Sometimes still you'll elicit an emotional response, but the one thing we try to do to try to make it less emotional is locking in the empathy. So I oftentimes give the example of when I was about 15 and I would leave and not come back quite on time. Mm-hmm. When I would come back, you know, a half hour late for my curfew, my mom would basically yell at me and you didn't make your curfew and now you're going to be grounded for, you know, it was always kind of a long time, like a month. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I would just go in my room and I would sit there and I would sulk and yeah, brood well, and totally. But I'd yeah. also be like, my mom's so mean. I hate them. They, they don't They're just care trying to control me. me. They don't understand me. Yes. Yeah. And all these bad things would go through my mind. And I never once laid there and thought, you know, bet I should come back on time like if I came back in my curfew I could prevent all this never once never once yeah you're right Uh, same but if I had come home and my mom had said oh Crystal you know we were really worried about you and I know you were looking forward to going to this thing on Saturday Mm -hmm. but it's really stressful for us when you don't make curfew so sadly we're not going to be able to let you go Okay. I might have gone to my room and still been a little mad, but it's a lot harder to hate someone who feels really sad for you, who's doing it because they were worried about you. So I think in that situation, and I'm not positive, but I may have gone to my room and at some point actually thought, you know, I I should probably try to think of a way to get back in time for my curfew next time. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is deliver consequences in a way that 
um, our kids understand that we're doing this because we love them. We're doing this because they made a bad choice, not because we're mean people or not because we want to get them. It's because they made a bad choice and a bad thing is happening. And the one way we can, one of the ways we can like help them understand that is by using empathy. And empathy also ties into a bunch of stuff in the brain with the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. Humans crave empathy and it helps activate our prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of our brain that we actually think with. Okay. Rather than our amygdala where we lay in our bed and hate our parents and <laughs> the amygdala is the fight or flight or flee fight oh my god fight flight freeze fight flight or freeze there's we a lot there. of f's there thank you for your help alliteration is <laughs> tough sometimes i get it i get it but that way um they are not thinking they're just thinking with their amygdala they're just thinking of those three options of fighting or, or running away or mm-hmm. just freezing um but they're not thinking through what happened and they're definitely not learning from it so empathy serves both those purposes it helps the bad choice be the bad guy rather than us the parents and it helps them actually be able to think can you talk a little bit about like the difference though between empathy and sympathy in that situation? Because I can see how, um, just based on my own personal experiences and also, you know, just, you know, talking with their parents, it can be very easy to reach into a situation from almost an elevated position, especially if you're a parent to the child being like, oh yeah, that sucks for you. Really (laughs) would have been great for you to get home on time. And then like, where it's like, you're feigning empathy, but it kind of coming across as sympathy that like, I'm wor- I I want to just kind of del- delve into maybe where that distinction comes in because you don't want to end up crossing the line into kind of guilt tripping if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I think that um a lot of the times we use just a a quick line to express that empathy like, "Oh, this is really sad." Okay. So like with a little kid um who maybe threw a train, you're just going to be like, "Oh, this is sad. I'm going to have to take that away because we don't throw our toys." Okay. Or um in, in a lot of situations, it's going to just be a quick like, oh, you know, that's so sad. And then here's your consequence. It's I not, see. not going to usually be a guilt trip. I just use that as an example with my mom, like thinking if she had expressed worry rather than anger, you know, we want to, yeah. we want to just show our kid that we're on their side. You know, we wish we didn't have to do this stuff, but the choices are what cause us to have to make these consequences for them. I think the train example is really good because that's really helpful at least because when you think about when you're saying like, oh, that's really sad. What you're not saying is I'm really disappointed. Exactly. And I don't know, um, this is sort of, this is a side note, but a lot of times, um, I've worked with teachers who will tell kids, oh, it hurts my heart when you make that choice. Okay. And I always say to them, but you know what? It's not supposed to really be about you. It's supposed to be about yeah. their choices. So saying something like, oh, it's sad that you made that choice. It's sad for you, you know, because now you'll have to go have a, a break and then you right. know, won't be able to play. Or it's sad because you lost that train. Or it's sad because you won't be able to play with your friends for a little while until you can stop hitting. You know, it's yeah. not about us as parents um, being sad. It's about them. It's we're sad for them. It's not like it's hurting us. We're just sad that their choices are hurting them. And especially as they get older, we don't want to send the message that, you know, you as my child, especially as a tween, teen, Mm -hmm. et cetera, are responsible for managing my emotions. Absolutely. You know, like your, my emotions, my well-being, my happy, sad, joyful, whatever Mm -hmm. is dependent upon your behavior, et cetera. Absolutely. That can 
become a really dangerous cycle. We don't want them feeling like they control our emotions. We we don't want them feeling responsible for other people's emotions. Granted, we want them to be kind and we want them to be mm-hmm. good people, but we don't want them to be able to be manipulated by emotions. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I think it's so important that you pointed that out, that distinction with the train I mean like you know that's really sad that that happened or you know that's unfortunate that you made this decision Mm -hmm. like I'm sad for you that you don't get exactly like Mm -hmm. you know oh that's this sucks I'm so sorry Mm -hmm. but you know choosing that language of empathy versus saying here's how this has affected me you know it's it's a slight change but over time it can make such a huge impact yeah I agree how yeah how kids are channeling and translating emotions and the impact of their behaviors on other people's emotions mm-hmm. um and i feel like as adults we struggle with this and mm-hmm. i think especially and i can't speak for everybody else in my generation but for me i think that there's a lot of people my age who you know don't understand that and have yeah. had to kind of work backwards on yeah. our own mental health and in, mm-hmm. in saying like, oh, I am not responsible for the emotions of others. Right. I think that's why it hit me so hard yeah. when the teacher, when I started hearing teachers saying that, I was like, oh, maybe there's a way we could not use yeah. that language. <laughs> like I'm responsible for my choices, my emotions, yeah. my reactions. Obviously I can react with empathy. Yeah. I can respond with empathy and caring and kindness and all of these things, but how that's received is not my responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a really hard lesson to learn as a parent, mm-hmm. as a grown-up. Right. So, so sowing those seeds early with things like, oh, that's sad that you threw the train. Yeah. Can have such a huge lasting impact into their adulthood. I agree. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really, that's really, really good. So then they're, they're throwing the train when they're little or as they get older, they're breaking curfew or, you know, doing all of these things that we deem as misbehavior, Mm -hmm. making the poor choices that have the consequences. Um, And one of the things that you talk about is the misbehavior cycle. Can you tell us a little bit what, what is the misbehavior cycle and how can we work toward breaking that in the spirit of empathy? Okay, so the misbehavior cycle is when a kid experiments with misbehavior. And this oftentimes happens at three and it oftentimes like it hits another peak as their adolescence. So another reason that those two ages are kind of similar. <laughs> but what they do is they experiment with misbehavior and they see what our response is. Okay. It's and, like they're testing us in a way. Uh, yeah. And they're kind of just awesome, like also just like, you know, I wonder what would happen mm, if. I wonder what would happen if. That's very different. And it's okay. kind of part of exploring, you know, the way the world works for them. And that's all very yep. natural at, at any age. But then if we respond by getting angry, um, showing a lot of frustration, Mm -hmm. the kids, depending on the child, they might feel like, oh, this is interesting. This is getting quite a reaction out of mom or dad. Or they might just immediately think, you know what? These people in my life who are supposed to love me, they can't even handle me. I must be a bad kid. Oh, So then it's going to happen more. If they feel like a bad kid, or even if they're like, you know, this is kind of fun, they're going to misbehave I have power. I can impact this environment. Exactly. And every kid is so different. Some, Some might react one way and some might react another way. But the way that it's similar 
is they're going to try again. They're either going to try again because they're like, oh, you know, this was kind of fun. Or they're going to try again because they're going to be like, you know what, I'm just a terrible kid. I might as well just act like the terrible kid that I am. And then, of course, that's more misbehavior, which is going to lead to the parents being more frustrated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or more angry. And then the kid's going to feel more that way, whether it's a kid feeling like, ha, this is fun, this is powerful, or a kid just feeling like a really horrible kid. But if that first experiment with misbehavior or any experiment with misbehavior leads to a parent just being like calm but firm like oh you know this is sad but I have to take that train away the kid's gonna be like oh well this was not a problem for mom or Mm -hmm. dad you know she's got this she can handle this that means I'm a pretty good kid it's just a normal thing and that's gonna be a way of not starting the misbehavior cycle and if you're already in the misbehavior cycle then trying to react with less um, anger and frustration and more calm matter of fact and empathy that can help break the misbehavior cycle so how do you do that when let's just let's just stick with our our two age groups that we're that we keep coming back to Mm -hmm. how do you do that when the three-year-old or the tween is in tantrum mode where either the three-year-old is the fists are bald the the face is red we're screaming we're kicking and then, or the tween is storming, yelling, slamming their bedroom door, et cetera. Yep. You're trying to do this. You're trying to exhibit these magic skills, mm-hmm. but they are not having it. And that's okay. They don't have to have it. You just have oh. to have it. You oh. just have to be calm. It's not like you're going to prevent, let's stick with the three-year-old for a moment. You're not okay. going to ever prevent a tantrum. Sometimes you may be able to not trigger one. You know, like sometimes a tantrum may get more triggered if you're upset. But once that tantrum's going on, or if the kid's going to inevitably mm-hmm. have a tantrum, it's okay. I think what we have to tell ourselves is that it's okay for kids to have tantrums. In fact, it might actually be a good thing. What I like to think of a tantrum as is a child processing that the world is not always going to go their way. And it's a beautiful thing for a child to learn that at three rather than some of the 28-year-olds we've worked with who are oh, still working goodness, on learning yes. that. And um, one time when I saw the founder of Love and Logic's son, he said, I like to think that every child is born with a certain number of tantrums, and I like to think that it's nice when they get them out of the way when they're three or four. <laughs> oh, 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 is that true? If only that were true. What <laughs> I don't think it's scientifically proven, no, but it's but a nice a way to think thought. about it. Yeah. yeah. So when my kids would have tantrums, I mean, it was never easy. It was never like, I'm like, I nailed it today. I've got three kids on the floor. Because my, um, <laughs> my two 18-month-olds, when they were, well, my twins, when they were 18, month old, 18 months old, my um, second daughter was about three and a half and she was still going through her yep. terrible threes. So there were days when I'm like, someone has been screaming all day, every mm. day. But as long as I had the mindset, this is okay. They're just processing that the world doesn't always go their way. I could make it through the day. It was never like lovely. It never was yeah. like, yay, another tantrum. But right. they are really, really good kids. And I like to think it's because when they were little, they learned that the world doesn't always go their way. That's a great way to reframe a tantrum Yeah, and think about it and then learning that the world isn't always going to go their way and that nine times out of 10, it's probably more uncomfortable for us mm-hmm. on the outside of the tantrum definitely, than it is for them in the middle of it, dealing with it, right? Yeah. They're just getting through something. So with, an, with that in mind, how do we help then diffuse the situation when either we've got the three-year-old tantrum or the tween mm-hmm. stomping and slamming? How do we go from that volatile, high emotion tantrum kind of situation and bring it back down to, this, to the normal level? 
Well, sometimes we can help prevent some of the tantrums by using the empathy before we give a consequence, but sometimes we can't because we're all emotional people and and kids are really emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw this psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm not sure. I saw someone speak one time about it and he was speaking and saying that certain children, certain people in general, Uh when they are at all upset, no matter what we approach them with, they are going to see that as a threat. Like their amygdala is going to be like, they're talking to me. They're talking to me. And like oh, really? get super angry. Like that's just how their brain's wired. Yes. And, oh, okay. and so if they're like spiraling down, sometimes the best thing for a good number of kids is just to not talk at all. Mm. Now I have um, a couple, you know, a couple of my children when they're starting to get upset, if I went over and I put my hand on their arm and said, you know, let's go upstairs and take a break, they would be totally fine. But one of my children, when I would, when she gets angry, she is like that. And I always kind of knew that intuitively, so I knew to kind of leave her alone. But when he said that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. if we're like, even if we're saying, oh, sweetie, it's okay. She's like, stop talking to me. You know, like, <laughs> and that's her amygdala, just like, get away, get away. So Back sometimes we just need to like, let them cool down. We all know our kids better than any expert. So if your child does well, you can, you, you can help them calm down, um, by taking some deep breaths, you know, if it's a three-year-old, you can be like, all right, let's try some strategies. Or if it's a child that is just like, leave me alone, just leave them alone. Yeah. And if we are already like kind of riled up ourselves, we might need the break. We might just need to walk (laughs) away for our sake too. And I have learned that there's nothing wrong with giving child some space when they're having a tantrum. For the most part, there's not a lot we can do during that tantrum, except for exasperate it, exacerbate it or prolong it. Yeah. So sometimes it's best just to like be like, all right, let me know when you're calm um, and just walk away. And with little kids, it's funny. I um, I work with some little kids. I was nannying for a while just on the side because I love little kids and I missed having them. And when they would like have their little fit and I'd be like, oh, just let me know when you're done. It's usually like a, a minute and they're like, I'm done, Crystal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've moved on now. It's And you said before that you think sometimes the tantrums are harder on us. And um, I definitely agree because after that tantrum, they literally are like, okay, let's move on. We're good here. We're like, oh, that was was exhausting and stressful, you know, as the parents. (laughs) Right. So, Well, because I think I'm more worried about how is it reflecting on me as a parent? And it's not, you know, it's not, you know, a lot of times it's not reflecting on you or it's reflecting on you in a good way because you're helping a little one learn that the world doesn't always go their way, which is a great lesson to learn. And also that emotions can be difficult sometimes that it's not a bad thing for us to experience them because it's not like you know once you grow up like oh we don't have any difficult emotions anymore we still have to figure out how to actually process emotions that's so true I worked with a family um a wonderful family but they were always like how can I make them stop crying and like they would say I yell stop crying stop crying and I was like oh no it's okay it's okay for there's nothing wrong with crying you Mm -hmm. know granted like you know if it's whining constantly we can say you know well there's a difference between I'll listen to you and your voice sounds like mine and they can use a nice voice but if they're legitimately upset and crying even if we don't think it's a reason to cry that's okay they can cry they feel that Mm -hmm. and because I mean that's something that we are struggling with I think a lot as grown-ups sometimes Mm -hmm. too where we feel big emotions but we're not fully trained sometimes mm-hmm. how to process them in a healthy way which is why we lead to you know using things like substances yeah. and food and yes. etc or performance or putting out you know all of these other things right. because we haven't learned how to actually 
process our emotions in a healthy way. That's so true. And so a gift we can I give our kids. Yeah, no, I totally, yeah. me too. So <laughs> one gift we can give our kids is to be like, it's okay to feel sad for a while. You know, and I, yeah. I literally say those words to my older kids, but when they're little, we can tell, you know, we can show them, show them that by not being like, stop crying or you don't need to cry. There's nothing to cry about. Like just letting them cry. Yeah. <laughs> so when we're in the thick of that though, so when, you know, there's a situation happening whether it's, you know, a misbehavior situation mm -hmm. or it's a I've given my child an instruction situation mm -hmm. and I don't feel like we're getting to where we need to go. Yeah. Um, kind of a gut reaction for a lot of grownups is to yell. Yeah. And you actually wrote a post that ran on the Milwaukee Mama website just this week titled How Not to Yell at Your Kids. And immediately we saw this huge reaction and a ton of comments from moms who and, and dads who find themselves yelling without even realizing how they got there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you go from zero to yelling in milliseconds, it yeah. sometimes feels like, but we don't know how to break the pattern. And I am going to come right out and say that this is absolutely me, uh -huh. but my, you know, and from my end, it always feels like, well, when I've asked kindly and asked in a normal voice, two, three, four, five times. Yeah. Yeah. And I get not so much as an eye blink mm -hmm. and then I have to go. Can somebody please get up and set the table? Mom, why do you yell all the time? And then I just <laughs> want to pull my hair out yeah. because it feels like I, it's not that I'm trying to yell. It's that it seems to be the only, you know, thing that actually gets their attention. But mm -hmm. I want to pull out of this particular article that you, um, that you wrote uh -huh. because you specifically say, parents have told me they yell because it's all that works to get their kids to listen. Hi, it's me. <laughs> okay, that's me. Other parents say they yell because they are just at their wits end. And I love this. You say, I'm going to say this not because I want to be a big braggy McBrag pants. I love that. <laughs> but because I want you to know it can be done. I don't yell at my kids. And I'm like, how? So you go through a lot of really practical suggestions for how to try to break that yelling cycle. And I want to just touch on each of these briefly and have okay. you just elaborate just a smidge. Um, but we'll make sure that the full post is linked in our show notes so that if people want to really dig into this, they can. Okay. So here's kind of how you go down this, that the things that you do so you don't yell. Mm -hmm. uh, we touched on this once a little bit earlier. You take a lot of breaks. Yeah. You take a lot of breaks. What, is, what do breaks look like? Well, when I had um, four little tiny kids under four, it, it just looked like a trip to the bathroom. Usually sometimes <laughs> they'd even follow me, so I'd speed over into the bathroom and just take some deep breaths. Like, yeah. Oh, or like splash my face with water. Or if I'm like totally feeling like we've been in the house for months on end, I would just stick them in some, you know, we had a triple stroller and then I, put, I wore one. Mm -hmm. Just go out and get some fresh air. Just change. Whatever I, I felt like, you know, I'm losing it. Let's do something different. We need to just break either the environment or the something to yes. just take a beat. Yes. And and sometimes, you know, if it, you know, if I could get a couple of them down for a nap, I would, you know, put on a book on CD or something, which they don't even have, you know, podcast or whatever. <laughs> An audiobook. Audiobook now. A and kid's just podcast. A break, you know, just get yourself a couple minutes. Okay. Even just a couple minutes can mm -hmm. make a huge difference. Okay. Good. Um, I get quiet when I'm getting mad. So this was a strategy I learned my year student teaching. I oh. was across the hall from a yeller who had a student teacher who was also a yeller. Oh, boy. And I was with this wonderful um, Japanese woman. She was my, you know, the teacher I worked with. Mm -hmm. And she's like, 
you never need to yell. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, and, and I have been, I grew up with two yellers and, um, I used to yell with my husband, but I learned then that yelling was less effective than staying calm, but you do need to act like, so when you were, you know, like by act, I mean, give a consequence. Like when you were saying the setting the table mm-hmm. thing, um, you know, you're like, I said it four or five times. What I tried to start doing when they were little is not repeating myself. If I said it and I knew they heard me and they didn't listen, then there was a consequence, um, which okay. we'll, we'll come to in a little while too. Uh, maybe I'll just jump there, but I say talk to them, not over them. You can jump. It's okay, fine. Sorry. It's your stuff. You can jump. <laughs> oh yeah. I wrote it. I could have stuck it next. Um, sometimes I feel like I will say someone set the table or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, you know what? why would they listen to me? They're playing and I'm just like talking into the air. Okay. So if I want someone to do something, I try to talk to them. I may even like touch them on the shoulder or get down on their level just for a second. And it seems like, well, I don't always have time for that. But if you take the 10 seconds to walk over to Mm -hmm. them, it actually ends up saving time in the long run. And then if they don't listen, you know, they're being defiant rather than just like, you know, they were just distracted and I was just talking into thin air. So like, I need like eye contact. I need you to look at my face. Um, I have this image in my head right now because um, my 10-year-old is the kind of kid where um, saying his name once, nope, doesn't hear. <laughs> Twice, nope. And it's been this running joke that for the last 10 years to get his attention, we have to say his his name is Micah. We have to be like, Micah, Micah Jen, Micah, Micah, Micah Jen, Micah, Micah. Hi, hi, look at my face. You see me? Good. Right. That's when we can get tell him whatever it is we want to tell him. We cannot yeah. just be like, hey, Micah, can you please fill in the blank? <laughs> nope. It's gone. Some kids are just it's like gone. that, but also sometimes a little a touch does really sometimes like activate something in them. I don't know if like it's pushing the on button a little like, bit. Hello, I'm talking to you. Yeah. All right. Next, the that's really good. The next little tip you give is I try to remember this is not all about what they're doing wrong. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like we tend to automatically think um, everything's going bad because of these kids. They're, these kids are just so difficult. And parenting once, would be so much easier without all these kids. <laughs> <laughs> like teaching. I think that was a teacher line yes. we used to use. Oh, this job yep. would be so much better with all these kids. Yep. Um, so sometimes I think, what am I doing that I could change? Like, you know, maybe it's not all them just trying to be little jerks and make me mad. Maybe there's something going on. You know, maybe it is that they're hungry and maybe they're tired or maybe I'm not giving the directions in a clear way or maybe they're just super exhausted from school and someone's been talking at them all day and this is just one too many things. You know, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to change what I'm asking them to do. But having that background is going to make me less frustrated with them. And I think once we start to just get frustrated with our kids, it can be like a spiral. So yeah. if we look at the big picture, sometimes that can help. Next idea you give is I get a hug. You Aww. know, sometimes you're just like, oh, I've got this to do and that to do and this and we, we don't have dinner done and da, da, da. And you just are like really in the, you know, just too much is going on and if you just give yourself a minute to like get a little hug or a snuggle you're like oh this is kind of nice I, I actually like these little people I live with oh yeah <laughs> I just need to be reminded why I like you yes from time to time um I'm gonna skip over a few of them because I want people to be able to read your post okay. for the rest of them but I do want to touch on this last one because this one feels like it's a little bit out of the box to kind of break the yelling cycle um but I, I guess I get it. It's you, you say, I try to make self-care a priority. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. So I think that we feel sometimes as moms, or maybe it was just me, guilty if we do something for ourselves. 
but no, it's not just you. Honey. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. But I found that, um, there's certain things that I need in mm-hmm. order to function as an adult, as a human being, as a mom, I need enough sleep mm-hmm. and I need some regular exercise. And that's probably kind of a universal thing, but some people also may need like maybe they need to have a manicure to feel good about themselves. Maybe they need um, to get their hair cut. I know sometimes when people have little kids, especially stay-at-home moms, because they feel guilty. They're like, I'm not even working. I don't need to go get my hair cut. I don't need a manicure. But what's going to make you feel good about yourself is going to make you a better mom. If you just like... You know, it's that whole oxygen mask first, like on the airlines, they say, put your own oxygen mask on before you try to help your kids. Take care of yourself. Make yourself feel like a human being so that you can act like if you look your best and feel your best, um, you're going to probably act better and be there for your kids better. And we can expand that definition of self-care even to, you know, yes, put on real pants every once in a while. (laughs) Yes, take a shower. Take a shower, (laughs) maybe slap on some lipstick, use the good dry shampoo. But that also extends probably into things like, you know, choosing foods that make you feel good. Yes. Um, Getting, making sure that your mental health is being taken care of. Um, Things like drinking enough water. Yeah. You know, just like stuff like that where, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm a huge, huge proponent of self-care and, you know, there's, it's such a big, it's having a real minute, I think, mm-hmm. in our conversations on social media yeah. and among moms. But I think that it, we fall into this dangerous trap sometimes of like saying self-care is just those, um, I don't even want to call them extraneous, but it's like, you know, the, 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 the manicures, pedicure. I love manicures and <laughs> pedicures. Like, do not get me wrong. I don't go more, longer than a month without getting, you know, my manicure done. And it does, cause it does make me feel good. Yeah. But things like, you know, seeing a counselor mm-hmm. fall under self-care. Totally. You know, things like choosing your food fall under self-care. Things like being able to just get out of the house for 30 minutes yeah. to go grocery shopping alone. Yeah. If you feel like you're self-care. losing it, there's a good chance that you're not meeting your own needs. Yeah. It isn't just bubble baths and candles. Right. Right. Although that would be lovely sometimes that does too. Sound great. <laughs> that does sound very good. Um, okay. So to learn how not to yell at your kids, make sure that you read Crystal's post. And the last post that you wrote that I really want to deep dive into a little bit more um, focuses on middle schoolers, tweens, adolescents, kind of that age. Yeah. Because um, you and I are both in the thick of this. And a lot of times, as we've talked about, you know, we we go through these struggles with our toddlers and we go, whew, survived that. Yeah. <laughs> Done. All right, good. But Check then, that list. <laughs> yeah, like, oh boy, I survived. Um, but then they get into adolescence and suddenly it can be so tempting for us to jump in as parents when they encounter social challenges. Yeah. Maybe because we remember yeah. how it feels. Yes. Maybe because we're still experiencing it to a certain extent as adults. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. But we want to like save them. We want to mm-hmm. grab them by their cute little shoulders and just kind of help them navigate through it. So how do we walk the line between giving our kids enough freedom and autonomy to fight for their own social battles while remaining tapped in and involved enough to know when they do need us to intervene? Well, I think that the majority of things that they go through are probably healthy and normal. Um, And we are only going to make it worse by like throwing our own emotions into the mix. Like Mm -hmm. um, one of my friend's husbands one time said, you know, you're taking their problems 
and you're adding all your own emotional baggage on from what you went through and you're adding that in. You're like making it worse because you're like, but I went through that and yeah. and they don't have all that baggage. This is this is their life. They they didn't have all our baggage with that. But on the contrary to that, like what I would sometimes feel like and I found this happened so often and it just like dawned on me that I was feeling this way Mm -hmm. but I would feel like I already went through this stuff so I can save them through it you know I can save them from going through it they can learn from me because I am I am so smart and wise and I've done this there's no there's no reason for them to suffer exactly go me it doesn't make any sense but I really did have this feeling like well I know the best way to do this because I went through it so they don't have to go through it but that's so ridiculous I use the analogy (laughs) in there like yes I know how to do algebra but that doesn't mean that they're just automatically going to learn how to do algebra they're going to have to learn they're going to have to fail they're going to have to like yeah try it and and see that it doesn't work some way and like redo it until they figure out how it works for them to yeah. figure out a problem and that's the same thing with their social problems they literally have to go through these social if only problems. there was a way for us to download it directly into them but right. there isn't unfortunately so if we're trying to rescue them from it we're denying them that learning experience and yeah it's a painful learning experience most of us don't look back and say, oh, if I could do middle school three more times, I, I would. You know, most of mm-hmm. us don't enjoy middle school, but that's who, what made us who we are. And so if they're having a problem that's above and beyond what's normal, absolutely see a therapist, yeah. absolutely talk to the school counselor. And if you are unsure if it's normal, talk to the school counselor or something. But a lot of the times it's just normal and yeah. it's just something they have to go through. And just like the tantrums, it's not pretty to watch, right. but they have to go through When it. they're feeling rejected because Ugh. so-and-so got invited to the party and they didn't, or they know that this group is hanging out at the pool this weekend, yes. but they're not going, you know, like. And it hurts us to watch them because it Ugh. hurts us for them because we love them so much. Because we, we want to write a very strongly worded email <laughs> to the parents, to so-and-so's <laughs> parents and be like, excuse me, madam. Yep. And that is not going to help anybody. Mm. Um, but yeah, when we're watching, we're not even just only said for them. It's totally bringing up, I think in most cases, what we went through. We're yes. like, that's just like Amy did to me uh-huh. in seventh grade. Yes. <laughs> We're suddenly right back there on the bus when we got our period unexpectedly. Yes. And that girl was like, oh, my gosh, and look at what happened. Uh, What's wrong? And, and, and we're like, we want to spare them yes. from that because it was awful. Yes, but it's part of a growing up. So And we lived. Well, we survived. Yeah. They will, too. And they've got, like, supportive moms who love them, so they will be just fine. We just have to get through it. We have to. We have to get through it. <laughs> yeah. In this case, this is about us. We need to survive this. Oh, my goodness. Today's My Milwaukee Mom moment is actually one of Crystal's. So this is a little snippet that we usually grab from readers or listeners where it can be a moment that's either hilarious or empowering or inspiring, or in this case, absolutely hysterical, (laughs) that from our kids. So take it away. When my kids were about seven, five, three, and three, they all got really into knock-knock jokes. But the oldest was the only one who really understood the concept. One time, we were all in the car when my three-year-old daughter decided to tell her version of the interrupting cow, knock-knock joke. However, she couldn't think of the word interrupting and substituted another exciting word she'd heard, and she used her own animal. So she says, knock-knock, and my husband says, who's there? And she says, a f***ing bird. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. 
but she didn't even say cow. <laughs> no, she couldn't remember either the interrupting word or the cow word. She's just like, I know there was a really stunning word, and I know there was an animal. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh, was was there anybody around when this happened? Just the just the family. And, okay. And luckily the other kids. Like I think my oldest was like, whoa. But my five year old and her twin brother were probably they like, they didn't oh, yeah, even know. Yeah. And my husband looked at me. He's like, did she? Yeah. Did that? And I'm like, yeah. That? She just said that yeah, happened. <laughs> So, okay, what do you say to a three-year-old when they just throw that one out there? Like, just... Well, I always try not to react if they tried out the swear words because then it's kind of like feeding it. They're getting a little bit more like, oh, that's a good one. Ooh, I got to try that ooh, again. that one got some fun facial expressions on it. Nice. <laughs> so I think we didn't say anything. I think we said, oh, do you mean interrupting cow? And she's like, maybe. maybe. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Oh, my gosh. Well, there you go. That's today's My Milwaukee Mom Moment. All right, as we wrap things up today, Crystal, tell me an unpopular opinion. I don't like any professional sports. Like any? I just don't get it. So I know it's ridiculous. Everyone loves sports. But for me, it's like I'm not playing I don't know the players. Like, I'm just not personally invested in this at all. Like, I didn't go to school with that guy. I, right, I don't, right. I don't He's know not their... my kid. He's not my brother. I, I I've never even met him. Why do I care how they're playing? I know, and I know it's totally an unpopular opinion. So does that apply to, like, Olympic sports and everything, too? Um... I, I do like sometimes watching like the skating. Okay. And sometimes I'll watch like snowboarding because I, I like that to stuff is so see cool. the tricks. Um, but yeah, like, you know, basketball or any like competitive sport. You're swimming. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I was a swimmer. We get it. You can swim in a pool really fast. Ah. And I like to play sports. So it's not that I don't get sports. I just don't get it when I'm not like personally invested. That's really funny. I get it. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. All right. Tell me your My Milwaukee pick. This can be a place, an experience, a brand, a product, anything related to the greater Milwaukee area that is just absolutely your jam. So there's this place called Neiman Markets, um, not Neiman Marcus, Neiman Markets. It's up in Cedarburg on like Pioneer Road and Wauwatosa Road. Okay. Um, it's an apple orchard. They have some raspberries and a pumpkin patch. But way back when, when I was teaching, I taught in an inner city and the kids could not come up with field trip money. We could barely afford a bus. And so back then I started calling around all these orchards like, would you give us a discount? No. Would you give us a discount? No. And I called Neiman Markets and they're like, we'll just let you come for free. And they gave the kids all like bags of apples and like a gourd to take home. And it, through the years they've donated like to us, like I did, um, uh, apple pie making thing yeah. for an orphanage and they donated apples for that. And they recently gave some apples for this, um, project we were doing in the inner city, but I love it there because it's like low key. Like, I'm, I don't love crowds. I don't love like big setups about things. And so they just, it's like you go to pick apples, you go to pick a pumpkin. There are a few toys, but it's like about the picking. Yeah. So it's I really no love frills, it there. No fuss. Yeah. Awesome. And, and the prices are good. I just love it there. Fantastic. What is in your cart? This could either be something mm. that is like still hanging out in your Amazon cart that you haven't pulled the trigger on yet, or it could just be like something that you've purchased recently that you can't wait to tell people about. Okay, so I had something in my cart for a very long time, and I didn't purchase it because my husband and my oldest daughter, who's 13, thought I was insane. So we have this little lab mix. She's okay. a, she's a lab and a German shepherd and a golden retriever, and she's only like 50 pounds. But she could like, I would try to walk her. We tried training her for 
months, all these different training collars, and she just could not walk. She kept pulling me. Okay. So I tried going on my bike one time with her and letting her pull me on my bike, and I, I nearly died. <laughs> so what was in my cart was this, like, scooter. I'd read about urban mushing. You hook your dog up to, like, a scooter, and you okay. you, you put this, like, kind of springy leash on, and you put a mushing harness on them. And you like, like, like dog sled, dog mush. sled mushing. Oh, yes. So okay. you put one of those right. actual like harnesses on that was kind of pricey. And then you hook like a stringy leash on and you hook it to the front of your scooter and you make sure it doesn't get in your wheel by doing <laughs> oh this gosh. thing. And then you just like let them pull you and you train them. Like I don't use like the fancy words, but I do like right and left. So I bought it. I brought it home. I put on knee pads, elbow pads, wrist guards and I, a helmet. The visual here is, <laughs> is really amazing. And my husband's like, oh my God, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> I just see the neighbors like out what is she doing totally and people will like drive by and they will stop their car and just stare at me and my dog's like what's going on you know like why is this car stopping but it's because they're like what the wait so it works (laughs) oh totally I've been doing it now for about a month get out of here she my dog loves it and your dog just like pulls you around the neighborhood yep and I'll be like Riley left and she'll like turn left Riley stop Riley right you know and she's she just tries so hard and she's almost three times as big as her and she'll just like run 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 okay I'm gonna need a picture and my daughter by the way she said mom you do realize like you're not getting any exercise you're just standing on that scooter (laughs) wait so you stand so you stand on it and she pulls so you're standing and you're for whatever reason in my head I still had this picture of you like you're like like in a wagon a wagon oh no it's just like a scooter but it's got like bigger wheels so So you're just standing on a scooter and if she slows down I can kick but usually she goes like crazy so I don't even have to I need a picture yeah this is amazing we'll have to put some in the show notes (laughs) yeah for sure that's that's amazing I've never heard of this before ever and it sounds incredibly strange it's worth a google search because you'll find some crazy things I found a picture of like these old people sitting in this like wagon with these um collies like lassie yeah. pulling them around and they were like it was it, there's some hilarious videos on <laughs> well it's like it's like the crazy cat videos on totally. facebook you know you yep. can just kind of go down the rabbit hole of watching dogs Absolutely. pull people on scooters Absolutely. <laughs> well obviously you have so much to bring to the conversation when it comes to helping us understand our kids and navigate that where can people find you like if they want to learn more about these love and logic concepts, maybe even take a training class. How would they go about doing that? So I have a website. It's Crystal Melby. It's spelled weird. It's K-R-I-S-T-A-L-M-E-L-B-Y-E dot wixsite.com slash love and logic. And I have parent coaching where I'll come to your house and work individually with um, you and, and you know, a co-parent. Or I have some classes, but I'll also have um, this two-month turnaround coming up where it'll be okay. online and people can um, – they we can message each other and do a whole bunch of stuff online and kind of make a personalized plan for oh, your so family like a virtual class yep that's exactly awesome. it's like a virtual class and parent coaching like rolled into one Ooh, yeah that's <laughs> gonna be awesome so yeah we'll definitely have links to that in the show notes as All well right. so people can find you very quickly thank you so much for giving of your time and clearly your expertise today i really hope that people find it very helpful thank you it was tons of fun good yay Oh, sorry. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. For more information on what you just heard, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at Milwaukee Momcast. If you enjoyed this episode and know someone who should tune in, please share it. Grab a screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories and tag us so we can say thanks. Even better, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes, which helps us more than you realize. 
We'll look forward to you joining us on our next episode of Milwaukee Mobcast.